The Heather McCoy Show. And welcome back to The Heather McCoy Show. Joining me on the line is writer and editor alternet.com, uh, writer Alex Klein. He wrote an article, uh, 11 Shocking Facts About America's uh, Militized Police Forces, way back in June before Ferguson, Missouri happened. Welcome to back to the show, Alex. Thanks for having me on. Um, as we, uh, Before we talk about your article, I want to talk about what happened last night in Ferguson. Around midnight uh, local time in Ferguson, uh, Argus Radio had a credential last night, and they were told to leave the protest zone, and they couldn't get near the protest zone uh, once they left, and they were basically put into a media playpen, and Argus um, was basically trapped there. They couldn't get back to the protest area. Uh, journalist Amy Nelson from The Animal in New York, her Twitter feed stopped around midnight, mentioning the worst tear gas yet. I was kind of worried about what happened. What are some of the reports that you're hearing uh, this morning about last night? Well, um, you know, I was I was watching, uh, you know, live coverage of what was going on last night and also um, sort of obsessively glued to my to my Twitter feed to get a window into uh, what was going on on the ground in, in Ferguson. Um, you know, from you know, it looked quite intense. It's unclear um, how many protesters were actually out in those kind of early hours of the morning, but whatever the case, it was clear that you know the police once again fired tear gas. They um, we're rolling down residential neighborhoods with armored personnel carriers, um, you know, shooting stun grenades and so on. And they also arrested, I think, at least four journalists. Um, you know, journalists were out there not only, you know, risking sort of their health because of the effects of tear gas, but, you know, they uh, were also being arrested. For example, uh, Ryan Devro, uh, reporter for The Intercept, um, was was arrested by police in riot gear, and he was just released this morning. So it looked really like an intense scene out there, um, and the, obviously the calling in of the National Guard, which happened yesterday, didn't quell the protests. Um, yeah. And so we see continuing you know, unrest uh, in, in Ferguson, Missouri. Was the reporter that from The Intercept, was he credentialed, or was he among the protesters last night? Uh, I know that he definitely was among protesters last night. I don't know if he was credentialed or not. But, uh, I'm not entirely sure. But uh, just following his feed, you know, Ryan uh, was, was, you know, it was clear that Ryan was on the front lines of things and was tweeting about, you know, the tear gas being fired and so on. So I don't believe he was in the the media pen. You know, they have this specific <laughs> area where the media are supposed to, you know, Stay, I guess, and and but that obviously hinders a lot of real reporting about what's going on in Ferguson. Because at that point, basically, I was watching the Argus feed when, as I was writing, working on my show, and basically they spent 45 minutes trying to get back into the zone. They were cordoned off and then basically put into the playpen, and there you're just kind of basically it's the uh, you know the five o'clock funnies in Vietnam where you're just waiting for you know. Um, press releases from the official sources at that point when you're in the pen. Yeah, and I mean, that's, that's a real problem. Uh, you know, I mean, this is a, a pattern uh, when it comes to policing protests over, you know, the, the in recent years that we've seen. Uh, you know, they, they say that there are so-called free speech zones, um, 
and that, you know, this is where the protest should be held, but then, you know, that you, you can't go out of this specific zone. You know, obviously the Constitution doesn't have free speech zones written. You know, you're supposed to, you have the right to, to peacefully assemble anywhere. Um, and, you know, journalists that are cordoned off to one specific area, that's not, that's not how to do, you know, real, the real journalism that many journalists are doing. And I think that, you know, the media really has uh, been what they're, you know, a lot of the media has been doing what they're supposed to be doing, even some in the mainstream media, um, showing showing the really horrific images uh, coming out. Uh, and Twitter, of course, has been an, an incredible sense of, of news. Yeah. Um, one of the questions I had was um, on Thursday morning, President Obama responded. And I played that earlier in the show and he talks about, oh, you can't do that to the press. And then mean, and in the start of the show, I brought up Badly Manning and all the other people that, you know, people he's jailed or trying to jail like Edward Snowden and, um, you know, that kind of that kind of dissent. Um, the the situation happened in McDonald's last Wednesday night where two reporters got roughed up and tossed out and it was that was hideous. It kind of reminded me of like the, in the 70s uh, there was a Chicano rights protest and I think Ruben Salazar of the LA Times was killed in a bar away from the protest completely. It, it, it's, is that the situation where it's completely out of control at this point? Yeah, I mean, you know, the police have a long record of, of not respecting uh, the rights of journalists and freedom of the press in the U.S. Um, when it comes to sort of mass demonstrations. Um, I mean, this, you know, it happened during Occupy. You know, many journalists were arrested um, during the Occupy protest of 2011, and now it's happening again. So I, well, I, I guess I'm not, I'm not really entirely surprised that there's been a crackdown on journalists there um, and a total... Um, Sort of intent to, to really shut down what your know, live broadcast of what what is going on. Um, you know, it's a black mark on the U.S. and um, but but I, I guess I'm just not I'm not you know so shocked. Yeah, uh, that that that's happening. What do you make of MC International uh, coming into Ferguson? Yeah, well, you know, I think that's really significant. Um, you know, I think it shows the world and people in the U.S. that are paying attention that you know this is not. Uh, just an isolated instance of a police officer um, shooting an unarmed black teen. I mean, of course, that's that is the specific circumstance, the, the the shooting of Mike Brown that sparked these protests. But I think the fact that Amnesty International was on the ground shows that you know um, people uh, should perhaps view this as a human rights crisis in the U.S. And then it's not just about Michael Brown. Uh, you know, it's about the many unarmed black men in the U.S. that have been killed by police, and also about the sort of gaping racial and economic inequality in this country that are that is fueling the unrest in Ferguson. Yeah, one of the chants that I found interesting was uh, I didn't I couldn't find that I, I guess I didn't record it was one of the chants they did on Wednesday night at least was um, from Palestine to, oh, actually to Gaza to St. Louis uh, the occupation must end. Um, it's amazing that uh, your own police force is seen as an occupying army. Yeah, I, I mean they certainly look like it. You oh know? yeah. Uh, you know the 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 high powered rifles, the armored personnel carriers, the tear gas, and so on. You know, make them look like it like an occupying army. And I think that frame is totally on the money. You know, uh, when when you have 
police looking like that and, and literally using the equipment that, were, that was used during the occupations of Afghanistan and Iraq, then yeah. that frame is, is, is not far off from, from hitting, you know, I think it hits really close to the truth. As I mentioned in your introduction, you wrote the 11 shocking facts about America's militarized police way back in June. Has the militarization of America's police gone so far that it was only a matter of time, like a situation like Ferguson popped up? I think so, yeah. I mean, this has been slowly happening since, um, you know, uh, the 1980s when President Reagan was waging, you know, intensifying the war on drugs. Uh, and obviously the, the war on terror has added fuel to the fire, and this has been slowly um, sort of uh, galloping at pace, this police militarization. And I think you saw some of it during Occupy. You know, in Oakland, um, you know, you had tear gas fired and projectiles hitting people, including uh, Scott Olson, the, the uh, veteran who was hit in the head by a projectile fired by the police. And now you're seeing it, you know, um, I think on a more intense level and a, and a level that's getting even more attention because the media is, you know, now their eyes are uh, all on all on Ferguson, right? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it was really a matter of time for this to really happen. Um, and uh, it, it has sparked a really unprecedented debate in this country about police militarization because before Ferguson, there really wasn't much attention. You know, you did have people working on this issue, and you did have sort of small subsets of people on the left and the libertarian right really concerned about police militarization, but it, it didn't reach the mainstream media until Ferguson. Yeah, that's amazing to me because the militarization has been around forever. You mentioned in your article about the military police force that brought down the uh, WTO protests in Seattle way back before the war on yeah. terror. Uh, I was part of the 2000 demonstration uh, against the Democratic National Party. Um, in 2000, when Al Gore was Frenching his wife on TV, I was running away from the cops. Um, this seems, why now? Why is the mainstream media now paying attention to all of the military equipment the police are getting? Um, you know, I, I, I honestly think I think the main reason why is social media. I mean, I think yeah. that Twitter and, and Facebook have changed the game, mostly Twitter, really. You know, most journalists are on Twitter. That's kind of been, you know, that's where a lot of journalists get their news. Um, it's where a lot of journalists tweet out news first, and also, you know, also not even just journalists, but regular citizens who are now becoming the media, are becoming, you know, if the media is not on the ground in Ferguson, well, you have people there documenting what's going on and acting as journalists, even if that's not their profession, they are doing journalism. And so, you know, you have the media, um, uh, sorry, you have sort of ordinary citizens tweeting out these these photos of um, police militarization of you know um, for example one of the iconic photos of you know uh, uh, an officer training his sniper rifle on on protesters and so these images are beamed around the world immediately you know you don't have to wait for CNN to show up you have people on the ground there you know people that live in Ferguson tweeting out this stuff and so people you know that really fuels. Um, attention to it, and, and which is which is a net positive. Yeah, definitely. One of the things I looked up in researching the interview uh, this morning is the Posse Comitatus Act uh, that was passed in eighteen seven or nineteen or I'm sorry, eighteen seventy eight. I wrote nineteen um, to end the Southern Reconstruction. 
And one of the shocking things I found out as I was researching that particular act is, well, it prohibited the military to police civilians you know, in, in the states. One of the shocking things was um, it was amended in 1981 to exclude the National Guard, which are now in Operation Ferguson. Do you know if that has ever been um, a, a focal point in a lawsuit to try to cartel the police getting military equipment? Um, I don't know for sure about about that in, in particular. That's yeah. really an, an interesting question. I, but I think you're you're hitting on a larger point. You know, you're right that you know the Posse Comitatus Act is a is a key U.S. Uh, law, but. Uh, you know, police militarization has obviously blurred um, the meaning of that law because you don't really need the military anymore to have military-style equipment trained on American citizens. You now have the police doing it because of the specific programs that have been put into place uh, at the Pentagon, you know, the Pentagon passing off their surplus equipment used in war zones to police uh, forces at, you know, free of, of charge so that the police forces, you know, they don't have to spend any money to get this. And also, and you have Department of Homeland Security grants, millions of dollars being funneled to these to law enforcement to buy these you know, tear gas canisters and, and, and rifles and LRADs and, and armored personnel carriers, you know. Yeah. So um, that's, a, that's a crucial issue, but I'm just not entirely sure about if, if there's been any legal action. I mean, I would assume yeah. yes, but I, I would have to check that, yeah. And I'm guessing the military-industrial complex is the one that, profits from this because it's like creating more demand for their hardware uh we lost this i think he hit a button on his phone alex did you hit the mute button yeah, I'm, I'm, can you still hear me yeah i can still hear you so who's who's profiting from this exactly yeah i think you're right that the that you know armaments companies are profiting um from from this kind of unrest. I mean, you know, the kind of the way that arms companies around the world show that their products work and that their products are successful, that they point to, you know, in, in their crude kind of marketing technology that has been battle tested. Oh, and, you know, you have groups, uh, you have companies, you know, showcasing that their, their products are, are being showcased in Ferguson. For example, you know, two of the most, um, sort of uh, interesting examples are combined um, CTS, combined technical systems, which is based in Pennsylvania, and defense technology. These are two companies that uh, make tear gas canisters and other um, crowd control agents, you know, smoke grenades, smoke bombs, stun grenades, and so on. Um, and, you know, they supply the governments of Israel, you know, Bahrain, Egypt, um, you know, with that, these, that those countries buy with U.S. military aid. Yeah. And, and now, you know, you see that these companies are also profiting from um, what's going on in Ferguson and the, the, the police militarization trend at large. You know, when you have the police getting these grants to buy um, military-style um, weapons, then, you know, these, these companies have a real uh, interest in it and they're profiting from it. Yeah, one of the things I was found interesting in your article was, like, the hamster wheel of, oh, we have more SWAT raids, so that way we have more profits from police seizures to buy these things. Yeah, totally. You know, um, that was, you know, while that, while while researching this article, that was something that really um, stuck out for me. You know, that you have um, acid forfeitures, for, for instance. You know, the, the police can seize property of people uh, legally. You know, 
you know, this is originally justified to seize property and cash as a way to sort of break up drug rings infrastructure. Um, but it can also be used in a lot of different cases, and they that brings in millions of dollars for police agency, for police agencies around the country who then can spend the money for, you know, whatever. Um, so uh, that oh, as, as the New Yorker's reporter Sarah Stillman uh, wrote in, in last year, you know, the thousands of um, police departments that that have stun grenades and tanks and so on, a lot of it is per- is is bought with this asset for forfeiture funds. Yeah, one of the things I want to get back to is um, the using military grade equipment on peaceful protests. How and what point in the line was the pivot made from using this military equipment on the quote war on drugs to political dissent? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I think that, that that was kind of an, an inevitable uh, byproduct of police militarization. You know, when, when you have um, the police getting this equipment, it's only inevitable that they're going to turn it on peaceful protesters that are resisting their, their power. Um, you know, this, uh, I, I think that you were right when pointing out the police militarization during the big political conventions in 2000 and 2004. I think that's that's when a lot of this um, perhaps started. Um, but you know, it was really inevitable. It's it's when when the police are, are um, obtaining all of this equipment. You know, they want to use it. They want to show it off. And we, so that that you know, it's, it was only inevitable that the war on drugs would see you know um, this police militarization. And then have that turned on to, to peaceful uh, dissenters. We're running out of time, so uh, we'll have to keep this answer short. Um, what? Exi- how are children caught in this crossfire of escalation? Right. Yeah. So that was, you know, one one part of my my article for Alternate. You know, um, when SWAT teams bust down the doors, they, there's little um, thought to whether there's a child in the home. So many cases documented by the American Civil Liberties Union in their report on police militarization uh, showed how children are caught up in this crossfire. You know, um, SWAT teams have busted down its doors and injured, um, you know, 19-month-old babies, have even killed um, people like seven-year-old Ayanna Stup, Stanley Jones in Detroit. And, you know, so children are, um, are, are really being impacted by these SWAT raids. Yeah. My uh, guest has been Alex Klein. He's writer and editor at Alternate.com. I'm going to post a link to his article on our Twitter feed as soon as I get off the air. Thanks again for joining us this uh, morning. Thanks for having me. And, of course, this is the Heather McCoy Show. We're going to say goodbye. Claudia's up next with Ask a Leader. I've never done a hard in like that. Amy Goodman style. I don't have a ton of producers to thank at the way out. So uh, Claudia's up next with Ask a Leader. George with George had a hat coming on at 10. Went to Echo Park Rising with him. That was epic. Ferguson has way too much police presence. Echo Park? Oh my god, where are they? There was someone stabbed on Friday night. Um, so that's the end of the show. I'll be on at 6. 6 to 8, 9 p.m. for Ray Trace Cooking Accident. Music, fun, fatality. I don't think I've said that word right. Oh, I've been up since 1. Woke up at 5. I'm functioning!